0: So I'm going to ask you a question that I'm guessing has an obvious answer. Uh, but the question is this: um, anybody in here ever walk on water? Yeah, I expected that would be the answer. If there was a hand that would shoot up, I would be like, "Okay, how'd that happen?" And you'd get to tell your story. Um, but none of us have ever really walked on water before. My daughter tried it one time, uh, and it didn't go very well uh, for her. Uh, years ago, I got a call um, from my wife. Uh, She was visiting her sister uh, in the Kansas City area. And uh, the call started off like this, hey, um, don't worry, everything's okay. And when you start a conversation with everything's okay, you don't usually say that unless something hasn't been okay, right? And so my next, the next words out of my my mouth were, what happened, okay? Out with it. And guys, I'm going to tell you a story this morning. And uh, I, I want you to know, and you probably already know this. Um, This is a very vulnerable position up here, to to stand in front of people and to to talk and to to share your life and to share stories and whatnot. But I believe that some of the best illustrations and stories come from real life. And so um, I want to share some of those stories with you. But here's the caveat. As I tell you real stories of my life, you can't judge me, okay? (laughs) You, you, You can't turn me into CPS, um, you, you, can't turn, like, you, you, just, you just can't do that, okay? So I'm just going to be open with this. So I'm going to trust that you're not going to judge me on this. Here, here's, here's how it went. She's visiting uh, her sister who lives outside of Kansas City. Uh, her sister has a big yard with a big pool in the backyard. Now I have a daughter who loves to be in the pool, but this daughter at the time, she did not know how to swim. Those two things don't always go very well together. And they had been having a great weekend, just playing, hanging out together, and they were swimming, and they were getting ready to leave. Um, well, all week long, my daughter, who is, uh, loves being in the pool, she also is really, really good at watching people and seeing what they do and how they do the things that they do. And so all week long, she had watched them reach up and unlatch the gate to get back into the, the pool. Some of y'all, I'm just seeing your faces already, like you know where this is going. And... Uh, while they were throwing their bags into the car, after a great weekend, getting ready to come come back home, um, she walked around the house, she reached up, and she unlatched the gate like she saw everybody doing, and she proceeded to go dip herself into the pool. This could happen to anybody, but it wasn't anybody at this moment. This was our family, and uh, so when... Ashley and the rest of the family turned around to put her into the car to get ready to leave. They turned around. She's not there. And so they say, where is she? Like, and then you can imagine the worst case scenario panic begin to go in into your mother gut and your family gut. And the thought is, there's no way that she's, she's in the pool. She couldn't go back there and that she's, she's too she's too small. And so they ran around the house and sure enough, the gate was open. And they are obviously fearing the worst. And when they get to the pool, she's in the pool. She's got all of her clothes on, shoes on and everything. And she's hanging there on the side and she's looking at them with a huge smile on her face. It's like, "Like, hey, why aren't you guys invited to the party? Like, why haven't you come to hang out with me? Why am I in here all by my, myself? And uh, um, she ended up being okay, um, but it doesn't always turn out that way does it? It doesn't always turn out, but we are thankful to God that it did turn out okay for her. So I get this call and says, hey, don't worry, everything's all right. And hence the crazy day that proceeded. Now here's the deal. This little girl, she couldn't walk on water, but there was something inside of her that told her, you know what? It doesn't matter if I, if I can't walk on water. It doesn't matter if I can walk on water or not. It doesn't matter if I get into the pool and I don't even know how to swim. I don't even have to be afraid when I get into the pool if I don't know how to swim because I know that I have somebody who will run as fast as they can and show up and scoop me up in the nick of time if need be. She trusted that somebody would be there. How did she know, though, to trust in somebody? Why wasn't fear an issue for her in that moment? I'll tell you why. Because there was a thousand times where mama showed up already. There was a thousand times where daddy had already showed up. There was a thousand times when somebody else had showed up to pick her up when she fell. Somebody had shown up to help her down when she climbed up too high so that she wouldn't hurt herself. There was somebody who showed up to, to, to lift her down. When she needed to be let down, there was somebody who showed up to let her know that even though she feels like she may be alone and by herself, that she's not actually alone, there's always somebody there who's looking out for her. She didn't have to be afraid in that moment because somewhere inside of her, she knew that somebody was going to show up. And here's why she knew, and this is where the crux of this is because of the past track record of somebody showing up already in the past. There's a track record of people showing up when she needed them to show up. And here's why I'm telling you this story. It's easy for us to have faith when things are going good, is it not? When things are perfect in your life and there's no real reason to to really be down on your face and just pleading out with the Lord, it's easy to have faith when there's no bumps in the road. It's a lot more difficult to have faith when the dam breaks and Things are just flooding and fear is flooding and struggle is flooding and everything is coming at you. It's a lot easier when everything is normal. Sometimes we find ourselves in troubling waters. Sometimes we find ourselves hanging on to the side of the pool, wondering if somebody's going to show up and take us out of our our mess. And when we're in the middle of it, we wonder if anybody sees us, if anybody is going to show up, if anybody cares, if anybody saw us walk around the house, lift up the latch and get into the pool. We wonder, is anybody coming to the rescue? And the longer we hang out on the side of the pool, looking up and waiting, The longer we're in the middle of our pain and the struggle, the longer we sit there, the deeper the fear goes. The the stronger the roots of the fear begin to wrap around us and choke out what feels like life in our life. The longer we sit in fear and wait for somebody to show up, the worse that it gets. And when fear sets in, There are a lot of different responses that we go through, right? Humans are built with all kinds of emotions, and God has created us to carry these emotions in different ways, and we all, with our different personalities, we respond in different ways. But there are two natural responses, along with others, that we have when we face high pressure situations, when fear is threatening to come in. There, There are two natural responses that we have. One of them is that we can panic and we can worry. That's a natural response. But but Uh, Also, we can have this natural response of trust. Now, here's how here's how they two work. Panic and worry shows up. Things are breaking down. Fear creeps in, and so I feel like I've got to do something. We become doers in that moment. We become producers, and we feel like I've got to figure this thing out. Because uh, even if I can't really make something happen, at least if I worry or I panic, I'm still doing something. I'm not just sitting. At least I'm actively engaged in this somehow. And, And so, panic and worry becomes a real natural response for us. The other one is this natural response of of trust. Uh, And don't ask me how that is. Don't ask me where it comes from. But there are just some people, it doesn't matter what's going on in their life, they can just say, you know what, this isn't that big of a deal. I'm pretty cool with this. Um, The Apostle Paul said uh, in some of his writings within the New Testament, when he talks about spiritual gifts, that faith, and we'll just go ahead and and throw trust in here as a level of faith, that trust and faith, that it's a gift it's a spiritual gift. Some people just naturally have a, uh, a, a more trusting spirit about them. But when you come to Christ, you're given a gift of faith and you're just, man, I just trust that God's going to show up. I trust he's going to do something. I don't have to fear this anymore. So those are two natural responses that we have. But here's the deal. When we look at scripture, we see both of these responses show up. We see panic and worry show up and we see um, the, uh, the, the opposite show up. We, we begin to see um, <coughs> faith-filled people show up. And so what we're going to do, is we're going to call these fear-filled responses and faith-filled responses. And obviously, when we're reading through the scriptures and we see Jesus at work and we see the Spirit at work, the the idea is that we wouldn't freak out whenever we go through stuff. Like, that's the obvious thing. But when we bump into the, the, the disciples and we watch them throughout the journey of them learning what it looks like to be a disciple, we constantly see them panicking and worrying about whatever scenarios like that just becomes a part of who they are they panic and they freak out and and so they we see them demonstrate these fear-filled responses and so what Jesus does is he puts them in scenarios to strengthen their faith To allow them to experience some things so that he can show up in the midst so that their faith can be strengthened in him. And what happens is over time, as they trust in him, as as he continues to show up, um, their faith, they're learning to trust Jesus in this time. And right now, even though they've seen miraculous things, the track record for Jesus is still short. Now remember, like they haven't been together that long. The grand scheme of things, Jesus shows up and to his death, we've only got about three years or so. And so as the disciples at the beginning here of Mark, they've only seen Jesus show up a couple different ways, albeit they've been miraculous when he shows up, but there's a short track record so far for them of seeing Jesus show up. So in Mark 6, what we see is at the end of it, Jesus is going to show up and he's going to teach them a lesson of what it looks like to live with faith in the face of fear. You guys with me? Okay, Mark chapter 6, we're going to jump in this together, and here's what I want to look at, uh, and and maybe uh, have you write down, if you like to write down things or snap pictures or whatnot. um, We're going to see three characteristics of Jesus that the disciples still need to learn about Jesus if they're ever going to learn to trust him and have faith-filled responses versus uh, fearful responses in the scenarios that they're in. So verse 45, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Okay, so Jesus, just timeline-wise, timeline um, we are coming off of last week where he fed uh, at minimum 5,000 people, maybe upward to Five, or 15,000 people with two fish and five loaves, right? This is a huge, miraculous thing. And what Mark told us in that moment that it was getting evening, it was starting to get late, and so there's a bit of a panic, and so Jesus shows up and he fills the plate for everybody else. And so what commentators say is that in, in this instance, we're probably looking at about 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock p.m. This, is, this instance that we're getting ready to read is right after There's a lot of filled up people and filled up tummies on the hillside who have seen some amazing things and now have some more expectations of Jesus. And what John tells us in his gospel as he tells us this story is that because of the miracle on the side of the hill, because of the the feeding of the 5,000 plus, the crowds now, they see Jesus as the fulfillment of the king that they've been waiting for. And so they're ready to coronate him as king and make him a king right then and right there. A king to sit on a throne right in the middle of the Roman Empire. Now us on this side of history, we know, right, that Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. He's the one. But the kingdom that they are trying to coronate him with is not the throne that he came to sit on. He came to sit on the throne of glory. He came to sit on the throne that's always uh, been his. And so he knows what they're coming to do. And so he's got to get out of Dodge and he's got to get the disciples out of Dodge too so that they don't come and, and try to crown him right there. And so he grabs the fellows and says, listen, you guys got to get in the boat and you got to go across the lake and you got to get to the other side. Um, I'll come, uh, uh, or at least I, I'll, um, I'll send everybody else home. You just go on ahead of me. And so that's what they do. These disciples, they get into a boat they start rowing in order to get to the other side. Jesus goes back and he kind of closes out the evening, he tells everybody good night, and theoretically everybody is supposed to go home in this moment. And after Jesus says good night to everybody, he goes up the hill and he begins to pray, and he spends the evening in prayer there. It's not something that's uncommon for Jesus to do. <clears throat> I said, there are three takeaways that I want us uh, to know for this morning, and one of them is tucked right in the middle of these first two verses of 45 and 46. So if you're writing things down, I want you to write this down. Jesus is sovereign over you. Jesus is sovereign over you. As people, Jesus is sovereign over us. Now, in the church, we often say words that we don't normally use. In, in common everyday vernacular, right? And so sometimes when we throw out the word sovereign, we just kind of nod and we, like, yeah, I, I get it, I understand what you're talking about. And I don't want to in, insult anybody's intelligence here, but I want to make sure that we all understand what we're talking about when we talk about the sovereignty of God. We're talking about the sovereignty uh, of Jesus, okay? Uh, and, and so when we say that God is sovereign, what we're saying is that in a world that God has created, go ahead and throw that up there, in, in a world that God has created, with the people that he's created, he is in control of all things. Now, when we say that he's in control of all things, that's exactly what we mean, that he is in control of everything, everything that's ever existed, everything that exists now, anything that will ever exist, he is in control of everything, even when it doesn't feel like he's in control, he's still in control. The world that he's created belongs to him, and he is working all of these things that he's in control of together together for our good. That's a picture of what his sovereignty is. Paul tells us a beautiful picture of this in Romans chapter 8. If you've never read Romans 8, dig that out, read it, you get to see a picture of that. Now, God's sovereignty means that in the good, the bad, and the ugly, even in the midst of our struggle, the things that we would rather not be going through, when fear tends to be crippling us, God is at work using those circumstances in our life Okay, he's taking those circumstances and he's using them to refine us, to chisel us, to humble us if we need humbled, to, to um, uplift us if we've been downcast, to challenge us, to encourage us, all with the chief end and goal in mind of us reflecting his glory, reflecting his image, reflecting the nature of God himself. That's his sovereignty. He is in control of all things, and he's working all of those things that he's created together for your good, for my good, for the good of his church, for the good of his glory. And in this little section of these, these first two verses here, we learn that Jesus is sovereign over us. Well, How do we learn that he's sovereign over us? Well, he's the one who sends these disciples out. He pushes them out, out of this scenario. And, and we have to understand that Jesus is above circumstantial stuff. Jesus doesn't just by chance do things. He is very intentional with every move that he makes with his feet. He's very intentional with every word that comes out of his mouth. He's very intentional with every situation that he puts you in and me in and the disciples in as as well. He's very intentional um, with with these things. So he pushes the disciples out into the boat. And commentators, again, they say that this is somewhere between 7 and 9 o'clock in the evening, after everybody has been fed, the sun is going down, Um, when people are supposed to start closing it down for the night, um, they are getting, and they're heading off into the boat. Later, what we're gonna read is that um, Jesus is gonna meet these guys out on the lake in the fourth watch of the night. And the fourth watch of the night is the hours between three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning. And so Jesus is gonna show up in, in that moment. That means that these guys were in the boat for at least six hours, right, all by themselves without Jesus struggling to get to the other side while Jesus is on top of the hill praying for these guys. And while Jesus is praying, there's a storm that begins to kick up out on on the lake. And there's this huge storm, and and they're not, like, this isn't new for them, right? They already went through this a few chapters ago, and we saw how they responded. The waves are big, and you have this fear-filled response from the disciples. They're like, man, these waves are going to crash us, and they're going to kill us. Jesus, where are you at? They thought that they were getting ready uh, to die. What we need to know is that this entire evening is designed by Jesus, It's not happening by chance. It's designed by Jesus to teach the disciples something about himself. He's creating a track record so that they can see him show up. He's creating a track record so that they can see him show up in the moment so they can trust him now. And if they can trust him now and learn to have faith in him now, they'll be able to have faith in him in the future when they face other circumstances. Jesus is not above putting us in circumstances that we have to trust him when that's all we can do so that we might be able to trust him when we're in future circumstances as well. And this is what he's doing with the disciples. He's still doing that now. And so when you look at your life, And you see the bumps and the bruises and the things that you've gone through, the struggles, the moments where you feel like, man, I feel like Jesus just sent me out into the lake. And when I got out there, there was a storm that came. I wasn't expecting the thing that came to my life right now. I want you to know those are intentional moments that Jesus designed for you. You're like, I don't like it. It doesn't matter if you like it. This is an intentional moment that Jesus has designed for you to teach him something about himself so that when he shows up in the middle of your thing, you're able to look back and say, in the middle of that circumstance, I saw him come through, and if he came through once, I can trust that he's going to come through again, and he'll do it again. It doesn't matter how big the deal is. It doesn't matter how small it is. He will show up so that you can trust that he'll show up in the future. Jesus will show up for us in current circumstances so that we can trust him with our future circumstances. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. Cause we start talking about the sovereignty of God and we're like, man, is, is that just, that's just pie in the sky theology, right? That's, 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 that's big lingo stuff. What does it actually mean for us today? Like does the sovereignty of God, does, how does it affect my day to day living right now? Well, here's how it affects your day to day living. It's not just pie in the sky stuff. If we're in a, sp- a space where we're trying to, man, I'm, I'm fearful of what I'm going through right now. I'm tripped out by what I'm going through right now. Because of the sovereignty of God, if he is in control, this changes things. If we understand and we trust that he's in control, we don't have to live in fear. We can have courageous faith in the midst of the fear, right? If he's in control of all things, and I believe that he's going to work this out for my good, it doesn't matter what it feels like right now. Eventually, it may not be right now, but I'm going to see him work this out because I know he's in control. I know he created all things. He loves me. He cares for me, and he's going to work this out for my good. That's where the sovereignty of God is, is the rubber that meets the road for us here. We can have Faith-filled responses instead of fear-filled responses. So write this down for number two. Jesus is praying for you. Not only is he sovereign over you, but he's also, he's praying for you. you ever thought about that? That Jesus himself is praying for you? I and mean, when we go to our prayer closet, we get on our knees and we pray and we struggle and we battle it out with him. But have you ever thought that in the moment that you're in right now, that Jesus is praying for you, praying for you to make it, praying for your success, that if you're in Christ, Jesus is praying for you. While the disciples are out in the middle of the lake, what's Jesus doing? He's on the hillside, isn't he? And he's praying. He's not in the boat with them yet, but he's up on the hillside and he's praying for them. He's praying for these guys. One of my favorite passages of scripture is all of John 17. Y'all familiar with John 17? Oh my goodness, is this not, this? if you want to see the heart of God for his people, if you see the heart of Jesus for those who will follow him, not only for the disciples, but John 17 is all about praying for the disciples that he had then and those who would come to follow Jesus because of the disciples. It is a prayer-filled response of Jesus having a conversation with the Father. So in this moment, in John 17, you have God the Son and Jesus, talking with God the Father, and, they're, and he's praying to God the Father about these disciples. He's praying for them. He's lifting them up, and what he's praying for throughout that whole chapter, he's praying for their strength in the middle of the struggle. He's praying that they might have faith in the midst of their fear because they're going to be in some really shady positions that are going to be coming up, and it's going to be dicey for them, and he doesn't want them to give up. And so he's praying that they wouldn't give up and that they would have strength, and he's praying that they would know the truth, but not just know the truth, that they would be established in it, that they would be rooted in the truth, and there would be nothing that would come their way that would knock them off of what they've come to know of who Jesus is. Right? He is praying for these guys. And I have to believe that if G- as Jesus is sitting on this hillside and Scripture tells us that he's praying, who's he praying for? He's praying for these guys who are in the boat. He's praying for what they're getting ready to go for right now, and he's praying for what they're going to go through down in the future because he knows that there's going to be a day when he ascends into heaven, he's going to send the Spirit, and they're not going to physically feel his presence anymore. And so he's praying that when he steps out, they don't give up. Not in this moment or in the moments to come. i want to ask you, what does it do for us to know that Jesus is praying for us? If if we actually believe that Jesus is praying for us, I want you to follow me on this. If we believe that Jesus was praying for us, think about the decisions that you have to make right now. Think about what you're working through. Maybe like, I don't know where this is going to go. I can do this or I could do this, but there's a decision in front of me. Think about the child who's just causing you so much grief and the heartache that you're feeling because of that. Think about the pain that just feels so overwhelming right now or the the business decision that you've got to make. You know, it's going to change everything or the fact that I've got to, I'm going to be retiring soon and uh, I'm trying to figure out if I'm, I'm doing it now or two years from now because you know that that's going to affect everything in your world. Think about that sin struggle that you have right now. And you've been trying to let go of it, but it's still hanging there, and you, you repent, and you confess, and, but yet it's still there. Think about those things, and what does it do for you to know that Jesus right now is at the right hand of the Father, and at this very moment, he is praying for us. He's praying for you in that thing. He's praying for your strength. He's praying for your courage. He's praying for your encouragement. He's praying that you wouldn't give up, that you would stay strong in the midst of the struggle. He's praying that you would know the truth but not just know the truth. He's praying that you would be established in the truth because Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for you. And that changes what we're walking through right now. Even if you feel like you're alone, you're not alone. You're not alone. Number three, Jesus is present with you. He is sovereign over you, he is praying for you, and he is present with you. Look at verse 47. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them. That's that fourth watch of the night. They are walking on the water. He intended to go past them. But when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I'm here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. They're still trying to figure it out, they're still growing. They're still growing as disciples. They're learning to trust Jesus. And the, the, the fact that their heart is hard right now, that means that they're confused. They still don't know how to place all these pieces together in, in the puzzle. And this is a crazy scene that Jesus is, is, is walking these guys through. Mark is telling us about this, and it's just, it just wild. These guys are in serious trouble. They're in distress. They've been rowing for at least six hours at this point. That's a long time. Anybody ever go canoeing or kayaking down the river or out on the lake? Anybody? Like when you when you come back from canoeing or kayaking, how do your arms feel? But yeah, yeah, you tough guys, they feel like jello, don't they? Yeah, they, they, you feel uh, worn out. Your arms are shot. Your back's tired. Your hips hurt. Your legs hurt. That might just be me, but that's how I feel when I come back. Right? Like you are physically exhausted. When you come back from kayaking and canoeing, if you've been out on it all, all day long. And that's just when things are normal, you're not facing a storm, right? There's a lot of work that goes, goes into that. These guys, they have been being kicked around by the waves all night. And, and the way that Mark explains this in verse 48 is that they were in serious trouble, and they were rowing hard, and they were struggling against the wind and the waves. The way that John tells his version of the story in the book of John is that, The distance that Jesus was telling them to go from point A to point B, it was about a three or four mile journey um, by boat against this storm. And they've been at it now for at least six hours, trying to travel three to four, four miles. And if you ask questions of the text, we would naturally want to know, why did Jesus take six hours, at least six hours, to do something? Why, why didn't he show up yet? Why, why was he allowing them to hang on to the side of the pool and wait so long for him to actually show up? Don't you think at some point the disciples like, where are you? Like We already went through this once before. Now here we are again, going through this again. Where, why haven't you showed up yet? Or at least somebody be like, I am never going on the lake again, ever. Every time I go out on the lake, this is what happens. And so like, I'm tired of this. And so, next time Jesus says, Let's go across the lake, here's what we're going to do grab my shoes, like, go across the lake. Sure, we're going to walk around that Joker, right? How long had these disciples had to wait before they start wondering where Jesus was? How many hours did it take? Were they questioning at one hour, two hours, three hours? By six hours, don't you think they were exhausted and wanting to know, Where are you? and fear is overcoming them again? They want to be faithful. They're trying to learn, but Jesus isn't showing up yet. Six hours. Why did he wait six hours to do something? It's the same reason that we don't show up for our kids every single time, right? It's the same reason that we don't do everything for our kids. If we did everything for them, they wouldn't learn how to do anything on their own. Some of y'all are seniors in here, or you've got seniors, and they're about to graduate. And there's going to be a day when they when they have to leave. They gotta get out of the house, right? It's time to spread your wings and it's time to fly. And you're like, yes, get out of my house. My grocery bill is gonna go down. I'll get to eat the food in my refrigerator again. You get off my payroll. But there is a day when the kids are going to leave the house. And when they leave, they've gotta have the confidence to make the decisions that are gonna be good decisions when you're not in the mix. They gotta have the the built-in character They've got to have the built-in moments where they had to struggle through some things sometimes. And so we don't always show We let our kids struggle from time to time so they can learn how to make the right decision and do the right thing without us by their side. And so we let them struggle so that they can learn. And then the same way Jesus is teaching the disciples this incredibly important lesson. He's letting them struggle for a little bit so that they can see that when you're in the middle of something, effort isn't always going to fix it. Rowing harder isn't going to fix it. Going faster isn't going to fix it. It's not always going to work. Jesus doesn't show up to the boat until it's been six hours and these guys are exhausted and they've spent everything that they have. They have nothing left to give. Guys, you know, we look around at our culture. We look around at our church culture. This culture here, the broad church culture around. And one of the biggest or greatest problems that we have in our faith in the Christian culture is that we've somehow begun to mix works in with our faith. That you've got to be able to do something in order to get something. And work is anything that we do to try to earn what God has already given us or to try to pay back God for what he's already given us to, through his son Jesus on the cross. But our, our faith, guys, it, it's never been about what we can do about what about if we can do more of or to do something on our own. It's always been I can't do it alone. I can't row hard enough. I can't go far enough. I can I can't do this by myself. So I need Jesus. And because if if Jesus being present with us and in the boat with us is dependent on us. If Jesus his if his sovereignty is dependent on how good we are or how much we can do, we're always going to be asking the question, did I do enough? <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> did I do enough? Did I go far enough? Was I, was I good enough? Did I make him smile enough? Was he pleased with me? His sovereignty and his goodness is not based on our ability to go further, faster, farther. It, it, it's just not based On us. And when we start to attach our works to who God is and his character and his nature, we begin begin to try to mess up the grace that, that he's given us. And so what Jesus is doing is he's teaching them that they can't pull themselves out of their struggle. They just can't. There isn't enough rowing that they can do. It's actually when they've rowed all that they can and they realize that they can't go any further on their own, that this lesson that he's trying to teach them, that's when it kicks in. Hey, we need him. He is here with us. There is no reason to fear and the question that this text begs us to ask of ourselves is am i trying to save myself am i trying to save myself am i subtly believing that the struggle is going to get better that the work is going to be easier the farther i row the faster i row or the longer i hang on to this thing see what we see in the disciples is that they had nothing left to give of their own. They were exhausted in the boat, and that's when Jesus shows up. That's when their effort comes to an end, and his mercy and his grace and his salvation shows up for these guys. At three in the morning, when they're exhausted, it says Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. Can you imagine that? Jesus walking on the water? Just, just like that. Their trouble, the thing that is freaking them out right now, Jesus is using as a step stool. He's not afraid of the water at all. This is incredible. And I don't know why he does this, but scholars, and scholars debate why he does this, but he intends to go past them. Okay? The, Jesus is coming out to them on the fourth watch of the night. <clears throat> He's walking on the water, which is a crazy miracle in all of itself. But his, his deal is he's intending to walk past these guys. Scholars debate on what, what it is, and I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know if it's like this Old Testament um, connection where um, God would only allow somebody to actually see the back that he would pass through, and he would allow them to see his glory. Maybe it's a, it's a tie-in with the Old Testament. We don't know exactly. But his intent that night was to walk on past, not to stop by the boat, but to just, hey, boys, you saw me, I'm out of here. He intends to go past them, verse 49, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking that he was a ghost. Like, this is why I don't go in the water anymore. I'm either struggling with a stinking wave or somebody's walking on and scaring me to death. They're all terrified when they saw him, the scripture says. And I don't want us to miss this because this is the crux of the morning and we're going to be ending with this. Jesus speaks to them at once and he says, don't be afraid don't be afraid, take courage, I'm here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. They're learning to trust Jesus. because this is so subtle, but it's so important. What Jesus says here literally in the Greek is he says, have courage. It says, ego eimi, have courage, I am. And then it stops. Have courage. I am. And you know what I am is? It's the name that the Hebrews got used to calling God in the Old Testament. It's the name that he became known for. There was a moment where God goes to Moses and tells Moses, like, hey, you're going to go and you're going you're to set my people free, so you're going to go talk to all these people who are, who are in chains and, and bonds, bondages, and they've been that way for a really long time, and you're going to go tell them they're going to be set free. And Moses like, cool, um, I, I need to know something, though. When I go and I tell them this message, who am I going to say sent me? And God looks at him and says, you tell them I am sent me. You tell him I am sent you. And those two words, I am, they wrap up the whole idea that this is the author of life. This is the creator of all things. This is the one who always was and who always will be. I am sovereign over all things. And so when you show up to tell him who sent you, you tell them, I am the sovereign one sent you. And when, so when Jesus is on the water and these guys are freaking out in the boat and they don't know what's going on, and he says, don't be afraid, take courage, I am am. This doesn't get missed by the disciples. They're not just a bunch of fishermen and a couple of random guys. Like these are guys who have studied the scriptures throughout their life. They understand who God was. And when he said, I am, it clicked. And then what scripture say? He gets in the boat with them and the waves and the wind stopped. And that moment when Jesus steps in, the struggle was over. It was in the middle of the storm that the presence of Jesus became all the more real to them, realer than, more real than they had experienced up to this moment. He is the great I am. He is with us, and they are learning to trust him. And if we let it, the struggle for us will reveal to us that the one who walks on water is bigger than any storm that we'll ever go through. And so we don't have to be afraid. The one who walks on water is the one who's in the boat with us. And so why don't we have to be afraid? Why doesn't fear have to be an issue for us? How can we have faith in the face of fear and the struggles that we walk through? Because there have been a thousand times where Jesus has shown up when we're about to walk off of a cliff and he pulls us back. There have been a thousand times when we've climbed too high and we're about to hurt ourselves and he pulls us back. There have been a thousand times where he shows up to let us know that even if we feel alone, that we're never going to be alone that the great I am is right there in the middle of the boat with us. And so we don't have to be afraid because somewhere inside of us, we know that he's gonna show up, not because of anything that we do, but based on his track record because that's what he does. He shows up when we need him the most. He doesn't leave us without a trace. And you can have faith in the face of fear because of his track record, the great I am. Jesus is sovereign over us He is praying for us, and he is present in the boat with us. The one that we follow is the one who walks on water. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for your word. Thanks for your truth. Thanks um, for the disciples um, that freaked out all the time um, because we do that too, Um, and you never left them, and so we can have confidence that you'll never leave us. Thank you for your track record of showing up, Thank you that you never leave us and forsake us. Thank you that even in the hard lessons, the hard things that we walk through, that you're using those things to teach us, even if we don't like it. You're not above using the hard stuff. And and so, Father, this this week as we um, get into this passage and we we read it and we study it and we get into other passages and we encounter you and you teach us through your spirit, I, I pray that if what we're going through is really hard right now and the struggles and we're just really kind of faced with this fear factor that we're walking with. I pray that we would just sit before you and be honest and just say, Lord, what I'm walking through right now, it's hard, it's difficult. I don't want to be walking through it. But if you have something for me in the middle of this storm, would you just remind me that you're in the boat with me, that the great I am, is present in my circumstance. And that as I'm praying to you, you're praying for me to have the strength to go through this. So remind our hearts of that this week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.